0: Do you live in fear of a complaint? Do you dread making a mistake or getting something wrong? No one goes to work expecting to fail and no one ever likes to be wrong or receive a complaint. But making mistakes is normal. After all, no one has a 100% success rate and receiving complaints from patients and clients could be seen to be an occupational hazard. We know this. So why do we find it so hard to cope when it happens and it will? That's why we've put together a series of You Are Not A Frog podcasts on complaints and how to survive them. Going through a complaint or investigation is one of the most stressful things that can happen in your career and I've seen firsthand the anxiety and emotional turmoil it can cause and I know what it's like to berate myself when I inevitably fail. But it's because we care that we find this aspect of our professional practice so difficult. But what if there's a better way of handling things? What if we could learn to view the whole complaints process as just another part of our professional practice and learn the skills we need to manage ourselves, our colleagues and our patients in an empathetic and compassionate way throughout? In this episode, I'm talking to Dr. Jess Harland, a GP partner and trainer and a PCN clinical director, Dr. Caroline Walker, aka The Joyful Doctor, who's a psychiatrist and Dr. Heidi Mouncey, a medical Legal Consultant for Medical Protection, about how to survive when you make a mistake or deal with a complaint. We discuss the many emotions such as anger and shame that we may feel, and the types of response which can make us feel much worse. Whilst it's never going to be easy, there are some things you can do to get more control and feel better. So listen if you want to find out the common emotions you will experience and why we find it so difficult. How to limit the amount of time you spend ruminating on what's going on, and some simple strategies for managing yourself so you don't feel so battered and bruised by the process of going through a complaint. Welcome to You Are Not a Frog, life hacks for doctors and other busy professionals who want to beat burnout and work happier. I'm Dr Rachel Morris, I'm a GP turned coach, speaker and specialist in teaching resilience and I'm interested in how we can wake up and be excited about going to work no matter what. I've had 20 years of experience working in the NHS and I know what it's like to feel overwhelmed, worried about making a mistake and one crisis away from not coping even before the coronavirus crisis, we were facing unprecedented levels of burnout. We have been described as frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water, working harder and longer, and the heat has been turned up so slowly that we hardly noticed the extra long days becoming the norm and have got used to the low-grade feelings of stress and exhaustion. Let's face it, frogs generally only have two options, stay in the pan and be boiled alive, or jump out of the pan and leave. But you are not a frog. And that's where this podcast comes in. You have many more options than you think you do. It is possible to be master of your destiny and to craft your work and life so that you can thrive even in the most difficult of circumstances. And if you're happier at work, you will simply do a better job. In this podcast, I'll be inviting you inside the minds of friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, so that together we can take back control and thrive, not just survive, in our work and our lives and love what we do again. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. Welcome to another episode in our series on surviving complaints. And this episode is all about actually how to look after yourself and what to do whilst you're going through a complaint, how to survive that. And I'm really, really pleased to have me uh, on this episode with me. First of all, Dr. Jessica Harlan. Welcome, Jess. Hi. Now, Jess, you're, Jess is a GP partner uh, in two practices in London. She sees obviously a lot of patients and as part of you know, running practices, deals with complaints a lot. She's a GP trainer. She's a PCN clinical director, and she's able to give us a really brilliant clinical perspective from, from the cold face. So thank you so much for being with us. I'm thank also really you. pleased Really pleased to welcome um, Dr. Heidi Mounsey. Now Heidi is a medical legal consultant for NPS. She has a background in anaesthetics and palliative care, where she, she works as a doctor there. So she's got a wealth of experience with working in hospitals and also now helping people as they go through complaints. So welcome, Heidi. Thank you for inviting me. And also, it's a great pleasure to have with me back my, my colleague Caroline Walker, Dr. Caroline Walker, who is an NHS trained psychiatrist and therapist. And she now specializes in doctors' well-being. She founded The Joyful Doctor, and she also works with practitioner health and supports a lot of doctors who are going through the complaints process. So, Caroline, good to have you with us as well. Great to be here, Rachel. Thanks for having me. So, I wanted first, I think, to start off with by saying, you know, we, I hear very little about complaints. I think doctors don't like talking about them, yet we all know people that are either going through complaints at the moment or certainly have had one. Often people have had nasty complaints and I think it's really prevalent, but actually we're not sharing it and we're not talking about it very much. And actually I've had some trouble finding people who are are willing to really share their stories because I think people feel embarrassed, uh, feel all these sorts of different emotions that we go through with complaints, which is why I think it's so, so important to talk about it. And I just really want to ask each of you really, what's been your experience of either going through stuff or supporting people who've been going through stuff? I mean, Caroline, you you see lots of of doctors and particularly doctors in in quite a lot of distress, don't you?
1: Yes, absolutely. And I just want to echo what you've shared there, Rachel, that complaints are just a very, very normal, common part of being a doctor, you know, in our medical lives. But they can feel incredibly isolating. When you're going through one, it can feel like you're the only person it's ever happened to and it's ever going to happen to you. But please if you're listening to this and you've had a complaint or you're worried about getting a complaint, please know you're not alone. It's incredibly common. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: It's interesting on, on other podcast episodes that we've recorded, we've been talking about the fact that it, it is just an occupational hazard. You know, if you if you wash enough dishes you're going to you're going to drop a couple of them. But but we don't have that mindset really do do we? We're going to come back about that in a second but you know Jess how, how what's your sort of experience in this whole area?
1: Well I'm really glad you're talking about this topic today. Like many doctors I've had a steady trickle of complaints over my career. I think I got my first complaint in my house job, my first house job which was absolutely mortifying, devastating and later on as a GP they do come in from time to time. You get that the email with the heading subject complaint and Uh you get a tachycardia and your sort of stomach drops through your through the floor and very often the the only person you talk to about it really is the practice manager who you know quite understandably just wants to get it dealt with and and, and move on but what I now have later on in my career is the perspective of being able to see that everybody else is getting complaints as well and you know there are some doctors I can tell you who get one every other month and I really I'm grateful for the opportunity to share that experience because I would have really appreciated that in my um earlier days where you as as Caroline said you feel like you're the only one it's happening to and everybody thinks you're a terrible doctor and you're questioning your career choices and it really doesn't have to be that way
0: Thank you. That That's so interesting. You know, it, it it goes on a lot, but we just we just don't mention we don't we don't know about it, do we? And Heidi, you obviously deal with with lots of doctors when they come to you for advice.
2: Yes. So my my role is supporting doctors going through the complaints process on a very on a very practical level. And I agree completely with what Jess has said. People do come to us and they say I'm I'm so ashamed that I've got this complaint. I'm really upset by it. I don't know what to do. And I advise and guide them through the through the practicalities of approaching a response to a complainant. I will review their response to complainants before it goes out. I can make suggestions as to how best to approach the matter to try and avoid it escalating. But it's clearly a frustrating and distressing process for individuals and it, it does add a lot of stress it is very time consuming and what i like to think that i can i can help with is just to reduce that stress and perhaps even reduce the amount of time that it takes if we can resolve a complaint to the satisfaction of the complainant with the first response for example so that it doesn't drag on and it doesn't escalate
0: yeah that's what we all want right is it just to be done and dusted and fritzed go away, no no more fuss. But it obviously doesn't always happen like that, does it? Why do you think we don't share this with our colleagues? We don't talk about it much, given that it is an occupational hazard, and most people get them. Why don't we talk about it more? I think that's a really good question. I think it
1: depends a little bit on the nature of the complaint, where it's, it's sort of a systems complaint or general frustration with everything sort of thing. That's that that's fairly easy to deal with but sometimes complaints can be quite personal about your professionalism and I think particularly if the complaint has come out of the blue and you felt that the consultation was going fine and you were in control and then somebody tells you that actually you haven't done a very good job that's very uncomfortable and I've been reflecting on a sort of bigger theme which is that as Healthcare professionals often so much of our, our sense of self, our self-esteem, our status in our families, in our society is based on our profession and our career. That when somebody criticizes you and it's very much you personally, it, it's extremely painful. And if you feel that your professionalism has been brought into doubt, I think that's understandably something that people don't
0: necessarily want to share. Mm. So it's this implied feeling that we're being criticised and that actually we, we may have done something dreadfully, heinously wrong. And, and do you think perhaps it's, it's our own inner critic that, that, that's stopping us as well as worry about what other people might think? Partly. I think perhaps sometimes we are a
1: bit judgmental about colleagues. That probably contributes. I think there's something also about our own Status as the professional, and you kind of we kind of like to think that we are in charge and we're in control of the situation. And when somebody takes back some of that control and you're sort of demoted, I think that can be quite difficult to deal with as well. It's quite humbling, and that takes some
0: adjustment. Mm-hmm. It's it's very difficult to think that we have. You know, failed in our professional duty, or or made that mistake, and we don't we don't give ourselves much of a break, do we? We don't we don't make allowances for ourselves, and allowances that, that not everyone is one hundred percent perfect all the time. I mean, Caroline, I'd love to ask you what sort of emotions do we do you see with, with with people that are going through complaints and the people that are really really struggling?
1: Yeah, so we see, I see a lot of really common, similar emotions and ex- and reactions from doctors when they go through a complaint process. A guilt and shame comes tumbling into the room straight away, usually, whether or not they have done anything wrong. There's often a lot of anger and frustration at how the complaint came about or how it's been handled since, or that simply how long it's taking to resolve. I see quite a lot of anxiety about, you know, getting more complaints, getting other complaints. What well, And lots of doctors then changing their practice to try to avoid anything else going wrong. And I also see quite a bit of grief, a kind of sense of the doctor sort of feeling like they've lost the relationship with medicine that they had before. You know, this is something they've wanted to do their whole lives quite often. And they thought was going to be this incredibly rewarding and wonderful career. And and sometimes something like a big complaint comes along and it can completely take over for, you know, several months, sometimes even several years. You know, I've worked with a couple of doctors recently who had a complaint maybe three, four years ago we're still carrying that the bur- the emotional burden of it with them today so I think yeah if you, I mean a, r- a whole range of emotions but I'd say the commonest ones are the shame and guilt anger frustration anxiety and, and perhaps a sense of grief or loss I think I would and those I, are, I, I would add that I think a very common emotion initially is defensiveness and blaming the complainant and I actually think that that, I mean, that's something we all have to do. I think it's part of processing. You you go through that, you know, it wasn't me, you know, this is absolutely unreasonable. You go through that as part of your coping strategy. But I think it is quite important to be able to move to the next stage, which is to have a little bit more understanding of the perspective of the complainant. Yeah, I'd agree, Jess. And I think often that initial defensiveness is covering up the anxiety, It's covering up the oh my God, did I actually do something really wrong here? Or is something terrible going to happen to me? Am I going to lose my licence? Am I going to, you know, get into trouble here? Am I going to lose my job? Things like that. And, and so naturally, we want to avoid that at all costs. So we want to put the blame elsewhere. Yeah. But actually, part of the process, particularly if you have been responsible for something going wrong, is coming to an acceptance around that and seeing other people's perspectives.
0: But That's really hard, right? I was just thinking, you know, when I've had complaints in the past, you know, you look back and you think, right, what happened there? And you look back and go, Oh, thank God. It wasn't really my fault. <laughs> Phew, that lets me off the hook. But, but what about those times where you genuinely did make a mistake, make a mistake, something went wrong and, and something bad has happened and you do feel genuinely bad and it was your fault. And how, I mean, how do you even begin to start to cope with, with, with those emotions, that crushing guilt and, and then the shame?
1: I think this comes back to what Jess was saying, that, that over time, you, you, start, you have to lower your expectations of yourself, essentially. So as doctors, we have these ridiculously high expectations that we're all going to be perfect and never make big mistakes. And, and actually, of course, we're not. We're human. right? We all make mistakes. I've made big mistakes. It's, and I think when we start to lower those or adjust those expectations of ourselves and get a bit more realistic mm-hmm. and say, actually, it's okay all right you know when you start to talk about other people to other people who've made mistakes that really normalizes it takes a bit of the shame out of it you can start to treat yourself like every other human being that you treat really kindly and compassionately and you can say okay yep I made a mistake I've got it wrong but I'm going to learn from that a couple of things I always say when I'm talking through a complaint with a colleague or, or a registrar first thing is I always say great you've got something to talk to your appraiser about now so, as there's nothing too dreadful what you want is the sort of fairly minor complaint that you can reflect on and, and pad out your appraisal with but secondly CQC love complaints. CQC are fascinated by the complaints that you've had for anyone who doesn't know what CQC is that's the Care <laughs> care quality yeah, commission and what they're really interested in is patient safety quite rightly. And what they really want to know is when you've had complaints, not if you've had complaints, but when you've had complaints, how have you as an organization responded to those? And if you can show that you have learned from them and shared the learning with your team, that scores really well in their eyes. So I actually think one of the things that's going to be really important in normalizing and coping with complaints is that organizations are much more proactive in sharing complaints and talking about complaints.
0: Yeah, hundred percent agree. And it's sort of it's changing that mindset, isn't it? From oh no, I've I've done something wrong, to oh good, I can learn from this, and we can make everything better for everybody, including the patients. Exactly. This is a learning thing.
2: I think in a lot of cases, it's not that the doctor or the healthcare professional has done something wrong. Often, a lot of complaints arise as a result of miscommunication, and complaints can be. Very, very personal and absolutely scathing, and you are expected to maintain your professionalism and respond to this in a very factual and objective way, and that can be very difficult.
1: I would say complaints are almost always about communication, and Heidi, yes, that's definitely been my experience when I've been overseeing everyone's complaints, but sometimes I'm sure you will feel like I want to complain about you. Where is the organisation that I can send my letter of complaint to? Your behaviour is vile, and I think Heidi will know more about this. But in terms of what's required and how we respond to complaints, that if you feel that complaints are repeatedly antagonistic, or I can't remember the exact phrase they use, you 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 can de- Vexatious. That's a great word. Yeah, you can yeah. decline to respond i think that's lovely that's a really good example of gaining a little bit of control back in the situation isn't it because complaints are fundamentally a situation where something's come along often out of the blue where you feel like it's out of your control something's happening to you that might kind of spin even further out of control and that's where the anxiety comes in and the fear so so actually being able to look at it in that way reframe it and go well hang on a minute i've got a choice here about how i respond to this complaint is really empowering for a doctor
0: that's a really good point, Caroline, because I, I was reflecting one of the reasons why I wanted to do this series was I have a, a colleague and a friend and she had a dreadful complaint last year. And actually it you know, we look back, it wasn't really much to do with her, but it they the, the, the complainant came, it felt like they were coming after her. It all got done and dusted and, and it was okay. But for those nine months when she was going for it, she was a very senior GP. Okay, she she'd had complaints before, but it completely flawed her, and she was anxious. She wasn't sleeping. She just wasn't doing it. I mean, lo- lockdown didn't help, of course. But I just observed this person and thought, "This is not. This is not right." You know, I could see this person almost on the edge of taking time off work with stress, and I know that happens a lot with with people. And I thought, actually, there must be. A better way to do this and I think sort of seeing it as an occupation hazard and having some training and almost making a plan of how you're going to do it how you're going to respond and manage before it happens you know how can we do that and Heidi I just wanted to ask you what difference can you see between people that seem to be coping pretty well through the complaints process and people that really aren't coping very well what is there any difference can you see them doing things differently in terms of looking after themselves and managing themselves or is it a slightly random? I think there is a difference. I would say that one of the
2: one of the differences is how the complaint is written, which obviously the doctor themselves or the healthcare professional has no control over. But a complaint that is about systems and process and a complaint that is in itself quite factually and objectively written is a lot easier for someone to handle than a complaint which says, you are wrong. You are a horrible person. I don't like you. And my loved one is dead because of something you have done or something you didn't do. And that second approach prompts a much more, I think, visceral reaction in the healthcare professional. And it tends to lead to, I would say, there are two extremes. I mean, obviously, there is a spectrum but that sort of complaint, I think, tends to tends to lead to two extremes of response responses. One is that this is completely unjustified. I have done nothing wrong. How dare you complain about me like that? This is absolutely not fair. Go away. I'm not even going to bother responding to this. This is this is so inappropriate. And they are defensive and they are angry whether or not there's anything actually there in the complaint that's that's justifiable. And the second extreme are those that, that kind of go, Well, well, I am responsible. I, I killed this person. This person is dead because of something I have done. Whether that's true or not, that's what they're thinking. And and they 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 come to me, they phone me up, and then like, I'm, I'm gonna have to leave the medical profession. I can I can't I can't go on like this. This this is my fault. And they want to fall on the sword, they want to write a letter which just apologizes and says, Yes, you're right, I did all these terrible things. And for both of those extremes, part of my role is to unpick what the complainant is actually saying and help the healthcare professionals see what is actually being said here. What is this person's concerns? What are they worried about? What are they really complaining? Is this an outpouring of their own grief, perhaps? And then you need to take that into account when you're thinking about the when you're thinking about the response. So I think people do I mean, people do get very distressed and that emotion comes out in a in a number of different ways. But I would say those are those are the two extremes we see when a complaint is deeply personal. I think when a complaint is systems or process only, why did it take the hospital this long to process my referral? Why did it take you three days to write the referral to the hospital? Why did the receptionist tell me that my blood results were normal when actually, you know, my sodium was a tiny bit raised? I think those those are far less personal. They're a lot easier to deal with. Or even when it is something that's occurred within the consultation, you said I had this and actually I've been to the hospital and I've got cancer. Why didn't you tell me it was cancer? And it's put in a very factual way. It's put in a very objective way. And the doctor is then able to write back to the patient and say, well, I didn't know it was cancer, but that was my concern. And so that's why I've referred you to the the hospital. I think people are able to manage those complaints much more easily. There's a a rational, it's a rational complaint to start with. And there is a, a clear explanation that the doctor can give. And I, I would say actually that, that, that probably that the way the, the complaint is written really does have a tremendous impact on how the doctor responds and how the doctor is able to deal with that.
0: I get it. You're pushed for time. And with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops, top five episodes, sorry, and leap into your happiest thriving self again. Just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz. That feels quite powerless to me, though, because we're not in control of how the complaint is is written. And so, I guess you've just got to hope that you get the good complaints, hey. But then there must be something, even if it's written really badly, that we actually are in control of. I me, mean, Jess. What's your experience of all of this?
1: I think what Heidi said there is so insightful, and I think it's lovely that you shared that experience with us about. You know the example of this. This letter could well be an outpouring of the complainant's own grief, and I, I think the protection organisations are always uh, fantastically constructive and helpful when you do contact them. But of course, you, you know how much you can support individuals is limited, and I think if if you feel stuck and you feel like you are unable to to move forward and and still internalising all the criticism and what have you, that I think we must feel able to reach out and debrief with somebody to get a a more well just another perspective Mm. and fortunately in general practice we're fairly well provided for that and Caroline I'm sure will have suggestions about who to who to speak to if you don't have anyone immediately within your organization. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first people I would point doctors in this country towards is practitioner health, NHS practitioner health, a free and confidential service that can support you through sort of the emotional impact of of receiving a complaint. And I think what you both mentioned there around perspective is really, really important, because when a doctor receives a complaint, often it's received as like a one way attack, as if the complainer is complaining about you and it's it's directly at you and actually i find it really helpful to remember that there's three things going on here not two there's not them and you there's there's them and what's happened and how they're seeing it There's you but there's also the thing that has happened and if you can take that thing that has happened slightly off and away from you and look at it with a bit more perspective It often helps to relieve some of that. You know, this is personal to me, this is about me as a person. It's actually about something we can both look at and learn from together. Another thing I try to encourage people to think about, and I'm saying all this, you know, I'm coaching myself through this as well, because I obviously (laughs) go through this process myself. But I think it's important to remember in any doctor patient situation or doctor relative situation, there is a, a power differential, and the doctor. Is perceived as having all the control by the patients or the relative. And often, if you, particularly if the complaint is about something that you've said no to or haven't agreed to, or you, you decided on one course of action when they wanted another course of action, I think often, especially where there's been a conflict and you have kind of reached an impasse, you have to remember the only route left to the patient at that point is really to complain and and you might say well why couldn't they just pick up the phone we can have a conversation it's not that easy is it really to to connect with your GP there's all these layers of protection and barriers that they have to get through to get to get their voice heard so I think having some awareness of that can
0: help you feel a little more sympathetic to the
1: complainant as well. Mm-hmm.
0: So that thing about sort of being able to depersonalize it, separating so the person from the problem and realizing, yeah, that actually in, in their case, this may be the only route that they, that they can see. They want to lash out at, at, at something and blame something because they've got their own stuff to deal with. I think that can be really helpful. It's quite hard to depersonalize stuff on your own. I find, mm-hmm. I find talking to a, a friend or a, a colleague is much easier than it in terms of debriefing.
1: Well, all of these feelings breed and get worse in silence. You know, feeling guilty, feeling ashamed, feeling angry, feeling anxious, they all get worse in silence than if you're just trying to deal with them on your own. Whereas actually just talking through with someone that's a friend, family member, a professional, a colleague, it will help to ease it. It may not be the easiest conversation you've ever started in your life, but it gets easier the more you talk about Mm. it.
2: And so yeah, no, i i would I would completely agree and and again, you know whoever whoever is handling the complaint for you, if you contact your indemnity organization, they will have seen a lot of complaints they are very happy to help people gain that perspective, and again, your indemnity organization can also point you in the direction of additional help if if that is needed, and they are an objective they are an objective body they will be able to say well. What, what was the rationale for doing this particular thing at this particular time? How can we put that in this response to the patient? And they will also, I would always encourage people to offer an apology, even if they don't think the complaint is particularly justified. Even if they're just offering an, a, an apology to say, well, I'm, I'm sorry you've had cause to write this complaint even if they can address every clinical point that's raised in the complaint offering an apology goes goes a long way and i don't know whether whether caroline or jess have any views on this but i think that's i think that's something that people find very difficult to do when they don't think an apology is necessarily warranted
1: i think offering an apology when you don't think it's warranted is incredibly hard. I mean, we've all had arguments with loved ones, haven't we? Our partners (laughs) or friends, where it's like, no, I'm not going to back down, you know. But I do agree it's an important part of the healing process, but often you come to it later than would be ideal. So sometimes doing it through gritted teeth can can be helpful to begin with, and then later you kind of start to feel it a little bit more genuinely as you process the emotions and what's happened. And yeah. Come to an acceptance of the different perspectives.
0: Yeah, I guess that's something you are you are in control of, isn't it? Like you said, that the the one of the big problems of complaints is you just feel out of control. It's all gone out of your control. Often there's investigations going on that you can't do anything about apart from you know documenting and how you communicate with the patient. But I think that and then that's that becomes really really important. Actually, what can you control, and what you're going to do with that thing that you can control, and how are you going to make? make like the most out of it. Yeah, Jess, what do you think?
1: In terms of starting to assert some control, I think a good way to start tackling the complaint, try to break down the complaint into specific bits that they're complaining about and and try and do numbered points. And then you can start to address those specifically. And, and so you're sort of, when it can feel quite overwhelming and, and you don't really know how to start, I think that's quite a good way to, get going.
0: Mm. And we've actually recorded a whole episode on, you know, what to do in that moment when you get that complaint, you know, what should you do? in this? And some fantastic advice in that other episode. What I'd like to move on to talk about now is actually how do you look after yourself when you're going through a complaint? Because I just, like I said, I've seen people go off sick. I've seen people falling apart. There's been some very tragic stories of people, doctors committing suicide whilst they've been going through the complaints process. And that's just an awful, awful state of affairs. I mean, Jess, sort of looking back at maybe complaints that you've been through personally, what do you wish you'd known at the beginning that you know now that you'd sort of go back and say to your past self, this is what I'd do differently or this is what I'd do in terms of looking after yourself? I don't know what I'd do differently. I think
1: it's just having a better awareness of why complaints arise that makes it easier these days. But definitely talking through it with somebody is something we've talked about already. I think another thing to bear in mind is that it may be that if you were feeling in control of everything else, you would be able to deal with that complaint perfectly well. But if that complaint happens to come along at a time when you're feeling under pressure in other ways and actually that pressure has probably contributed to the complaint arising in the first place, then it can really tip you over the edge. And I think if I don't want to tell everyone to go sick at all, but I, I think if you, if you feel you need a break, take a break. I think mm-hmm. as doctors, we, we, we're, abs- we're allergic to the idea of, of not coping and, and having to just push on through. But if, if you're, you know, crying every day before going to work or if you're not sleeping night after night you you need
0: to take some time out and I think act act on that yeah I think that's fantastic advice and just thinking even if you don't actually take time off work you maybe need to look at your schedule and think is there anything I need to drop right now just need to get off my plate to give myself Mm. some emotional time and Mm. headspace to be able to process this I mean Caroline is that sort of advice you give people?
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, complaints tend to be things that fill our brains very, very quickly. And we start to get really preoccupied by them. We're thinking about them all the time. We're carrying them with us everywhere. And and it can be very, very easy to drop your basic self-care. Actually, you can like, miss meals, go to bed a bit later, not talk to your friends, cancel plans, you know, all of those sorts of things that keep us well and, and happy and able to manage and cope and deal with complaints. We tend to drop quite quickly so I would say keep an eye on the basics you know make sure you're still looking after yourself brushing your teeth having your meals you know going to bed at the normal time and then talk with someone about it don't keep it to yourself because all of it all of the bad stuff that comes with complaints gets worse if it's if it's left in silence or just in your own head so yeah reach out to somebody whoever you feel you can trust at that time I think another thing to bear in mind is a bit like grief it does eventually hurt a bit less you know it, it, yeah. it will be preoccupying mm-hmm. and painful for a while but eventually you will just move on and it will pass and that was well, you know I've had complaints and and it, it, you do recover even though it feels like you might not at the time yeah and naming that can be really helpful, can't it, Jess? Like when, they, when a, I know when I get that email comes into my inbox and you get that sinking feeling like, oh God, I've done something wrong. Ah, and the shame storm starts. If I can just say to myself, oh, okay, I've been triggered here. I'm in my shame storm. It's going to be okay. I'm going to feel like this for a few hours probably, but it will ease throughout the day and it'll probably feel a bit better tomorrow and a week from now. and. A year from now, I may not even remember it. I remember the feelings that, that when things like the emails drop in, you know, to my inbox, but I can't remember no, what they were about.
0: <laughs> yeah, the whole, there's a phrase that the written in the main entrance of Adam Brooks. You know, it will pass, whatever it is. And I think that it's it's good to remember that that it will pass. But Karen, I just want to ask you. You know, Jess talked about being really preoccupied with what's going on right at right at the time, and we can then start to fixate on stuff and go into these recurrent shame storms. How do we stop ourselves from doing that? Is it possible to stop ourselves from doing that?
1: So I think, no, (laughs) I think think we're human beings and I think we get triggered. Shame gets triggered and, and when it happens, it's horrible. And we've all experienced it somewhere along the line. What I think we can do is be much kinder to ourselves when it happens and not go with it and make it worse. So and when I used to get complaints sort of in my early years of my career, I would really wallow in them. You know, I would beat myself up with them. I would stay, you know, thinking about them, not talking to other people. I would, yeah, stop doing all the things that have helped keep me going and kept me well now as i say when i get triggered and it, it still happens every you know week or two at the moment i'll get something i think oh oh have i done something wrong there i much kinder to myself about it i'm like oh okay oh that's made me feel a bit uneasy or a bit anxious or a bit okay well what's going to be nice we we'll make let's look at the rest of the day how does the rest of the day look how could i you know take something off my plate or who could i talk to how soon can I do that? You know, and I start, so the way I relate to it has changed. I think we can't stop it from happening completely. I think we're all going to get those intrusive thoughts that are unpleasant. And it is not nice when you know you have done something that has harmed another person that is deeply, deeply uncomfortable for us, particularly as doctors. So I think you're not going to avoid feeling uncomfortable feelings and getting difficult thoughts, but it's about when they happen, being really kind to yourself with them, and looking after yourself in a way that reduces the intensity of them and means they don't last quite so Absolutely, long. Absolutely Caroline. I think if we didn't respond emotionally we'd be psychopaths or we certainly wouldn't be doctors. But I think give yourself permission to say, you know what, I've had enough of the self-flagellation now. I need to get on. I need <laughs> to get on with my job. Yes, I screwed up or or maybe I got you know didn't get something as I didn't do something as well as I should have done, but it's time to move on now. Yeah, I, I find it easy I sorry. I find the thing that helps me is to remember that all the time I'm spending thinking about me, like, oh no, I've done this terrible thing, I'm such a bad doctor, ah is time I am not helping someone else. I'm not helping the next patient. I'm not like raising my children, I'm not living my full life, right? I'm just basically wasting time beating myself up. So I think feel it acknowledge it and then yeah gently move on and if you're finding you can't um do that yourself then get some help to do that with that
2: and although it sounds really trite I would say to people remember that you are not the first person who has ever had a complaint you are not the last person who has ever had a complaint this is part of being a doctor and actually the CQC or your employer or your trust or your appraiser will find it very, very strange if you go through the entirety of your career, never ever receiving a complaint at all. It is part of of life in, in clinical practice. And I think one of the important things that people can do is to recognize that this is a normal part of being a doctor that's uh reminded me of another
1: great tip as well which is when if it's your first complaint try to pretend as if it's your third or fourth complaint as if you've already had two or three under your belt you've got through them you're okay you've learned from them and actually it kind of takes a sting out of that first one feeling like oh my god the world's gonna end and that's a tip i got from my midwife when i had my first child you know she said just pretend this is your third child you know and you've got another child over there running into the fire and another one in the other room screaming and you know you don't have to give your all your attention to this one thing same for a complaint you know it doesn't have to take over your life it can just be a part of what is going on for you at the moment
0: yeah i think just remembering that it is part of your job it is part of being a doctor or a healthcare professional that you will get people that are not happy with outcomes and with things that have happened and and if we start to see it as our professional responsibility to be able to deal with complaints and it's like oh yeah there's that bit of the job that's come here even though we all completely we all completely dread it because no one no one likes to be criticized or or to do do things wrong so I'm just wondering is there any other sort of quick tips, practical advice you give to people when they are going through this. We've already talked about trying to get some control back, you know, think about what you can control, what's out of your control. We talked about depersonalizing stuff, trying to sort of see it as there's you, there's the patient, and there's the thing that's happened and getting some perspective. We've talked about the importance of debriefing with people and talking to colleagues about it. We've talked about some some self-care and when you know that the importance of maybe trying not to wallow, wallow in it, and and just give those thoughts a lot, a lot of credence. I guess one of the things I was thinking as well is, um, pay attention to your self talk as well. You know what you're saying to yourself in your mind. Are you talking like you talk to your best friend? Because most of us aren't, are oh, we, we? We talk to ourselves in a really dreadful way. You know, we, we berate ourselves, we tell ourselves off all the time. But actually. What would you say if you were talking to your best friend right right in that situation then? And and Caroline, you mentioned you're getting some stuff off your plate and just going down to the basics of of self-care. What do I need right now? Am I looking after myself? And Jess said if you need to, that might include taking some time off work, taking some taking the time that you need. You got any other tips and advice, Jess? What about you? Just in terms of prevention. Or controlling the controllables.
1: If you are in a sort of pattern of of getting, you know, a number of complaints, do think about what else you're trying to to achieve at that time. Whether it's lots of childcare responsibilities, or working too many surgeries, or maybe you need to make your appointments a bit longer. And I've talked about this before, but there's an acronym of Halt H A L T, which stands for hungry angry, late, tired. Those, I think the defence organisations have probably recognised make complaints more likely to happen. So if you can do anything to avoid that, that, those particular circumstances, that would probably be, be sensible.
0: I was thinking also, Jess, that whole thing probably when you're going through a complaint it probably seems a lot worse if you're hungry angry late or tired as well so if you find yourself ruminating on stuff maybe just go go and have a snack or you know (laughs) just exercise you know or, or, or you know calm yourself down and think right I'll worry about this another time but at the moment it probably it is amplified because it's in the middle of the night or I'm just tired or I'm knackered I don't know Caroline we do say that to people
1: Yeah, I use Holt all the time. I use, instead of late, I use lonely. And I think for me, that would fit here in terms of not carrying the burden of the complaint on your own, but getting the professional support from someone like Heidi or from someone like myself with your mental health or from a colleague. Yeah.
0: And what sorts of other things do you recommend, Caroline? I think when you're in the middle of it, I think
1: what we need, what I need when I'm in the middle of a complaint is somebody to tell me it's going to be okay. You know, it's going to be all right. We will get through this. However bad my head is telling me it's going to be, it is going to be okay. So I think it's just remembering those basic human needs, you know, to to feel like we're not a terrible person. This isn't the end of the world. And there are things that can be done to help us through it.
2: Mm. What What about you, Heidi? From a very practical point of view, I would say don't send out your first response to a complaint without having it checked be that by an indemnity organization or a trusted colleague don't send out that first response because however factual and objective and neutral you think you are being you probably aren't in that first response and by all means let that first response be your outpouring of anger and grief and distress and be subjective and be all of the things that your indemnity organisation will then tell you, no, don't do this. Be all of those in your first response, but absolutely do not send it out. Make sure any response you send out is, is checked first. Get, that, get those objective eyes on it. That's a fantastic bit of advice, Heidi, and I call it doing a no
1: send. So you write a letter or an email, but you don't write it in your email account. So you accidentally send it, um, you know, write it in something like Word or a notebook or something where you can just get it all out and say what you want to say. Use the bad language and the swear words and be unprofessional if you want to be, because it's important to process and get those emotions out, but, but not to send that. So do a no send, then pause and then respond. It's the difference between reacting and responding.
0: I think one of the things as well is don't expect things to be done and dusted really, really quickly. I think mm. we want that to happen for I think I can't be happy. I can't get rid of my anxiety until it's finished, until it's resolved. Actually, it might go on. Unfortunately, some of these go on for years, don't they? And so that's slightly, mm. is it right to so say that's probably a bit unrealistic?
2: Yeah, yeah I um, think some of them do go on for a long time. Some of them do end up having other organisations involved, you know, if a patient isn't happy with your response as a GP, they can escalate it to NHS England, who may then choose to investigate other aspects of your practice. Ultimately, it can end up with your GMC or other regulatory body. And the idea obviously is with any complaint to try and resolve it as swiftly as possible. But I think if people are aware that they can go on for a long time, I think hopefully they will be in a mentally in a better place to deal with all of this.
1: Well, I'll often advise doctors to put a boundary around the time that they're looking at the complaint. So rather than sort of dipping into it and thinking about it every single day, maybe putting aside some time to think about it on a particular day at a particular time when you know that you're going to be in a relatively good place. So maybe mornings are better for you or afternoons, but, but a setting aside time and putting a boundary around it so that you can then put it away again, mentally speaking, pop it in a little box, put the lid on, and then get it back out again when you need to, but rather than carrying it with you the whole time. Yeah, that's great advice.
0: So time is, is very nearly up. I'd love to just ask you each for your, your three, three top tips for, you know, you've had, your, you had the complaint, how... You survive and look after yourself whilst that complaint is is going on. What are your three top tips?
1: Caroline. Feel your feelings and vent them in healthy ways. Look at the basics of your self-care. Things like you're eating, sleeping, socializing. Basic self-care. And then don't do it on your own. Share it with someone. Talk with someone. Get support. Thank you.
2: Heidi? So I think my tips are all very practical in nature. First of all, I would say contact your indemnity organisation. Even if you don't think this is a very serious complaint, even if you think you can manage this on your own, contact them. It's what they're there for and it's what you're paying us for. It's what you're paying us to do. So make use of that resource. The second thing I would say is offer an apology. I think we've already said this, but offer an apology even in those cases where you don't think the complaint is justified. Because this is very likely to help resolve this as soon as possible. And the quicker the complaint is resolved, the quicker your stress will go away. And the third thing I would say is, yes, by all means, write that first response. Vent your feelings absolutely but destroy any drafts of your complaint response. Do not leave them hanging around in the patient file somewhere, in the complaint file on your computer. Once you've sent the final response, store that final response and delete any other drafts so they cannot accidentally come to light at another time.
0: That's great. That's very good advice. And it just struck me, you know, that I think sometimes we, we set off with complaints with the wrong objective in mind, we want to prove that we're right as opposed to resolve the complaints.
2: Absolutely. Your purpose here is just to resolve the complaint to everybody's
0: satisfaction. Yeah. Yeah. And then make sure you've learned from it and it's actually improved your practice and all all that sort of stuff as well.
2: Finally, Jess. I echo everything, but left with very
1: many. I I would say remind yourself that dealing with complaints is part of your um, professional role try to look at it from the complainant's perspective as much as possible. It will actually make it easier to to be easier on yourself if you can understand where they're coming from or try to. And lastly, I would say just cut yourself a break. And as, as Caroline said, don't waste too much time beating yourself up because it's not helping anybody, either you or the person complaining against you. So just remember everything else. That you need to get on with.
0: Thank you. Brilliant advice. Finally, finally, Caroline, I just wanted to, to say if someone is really struggling with this sort of thing right now, where can they, where can they go for help?
1: So, if you're struggling with a complaint, I would say there are lots of different areas you can go for help. Try and pick somewhere you feel comfortable and safe. Um, you can go to your defence union. You could go to your own GP. You could go to your colleagues and your professional network. And if you want some confidential private mental health support you could come to something like the nhs practitioner health program If you just search practitioner health in google it will come up and you can self-refer for uh, free and confidential support around your mental health
0: Great, thank you so much and and just encourage people to get a tribe around you get your people around you as as your little support support crew who're going to cheer you on, check on you, just make sure you're doing all right and, and that you can talk to about it. So really important. But thank you so much, guys, for, for, for being on the podcast. So that's been really fantastic. If people wanted to get um, in touch with you or find out more resources, how could they do that?
2: I think if people are a member of a defence organisation, then they would be better place getting in touch with their own defence organisation. But people are always welcome to, you know, come to medical protection and ask if they need any advice Jess,
1: feel free to follow me on twitter i'd love to love to hear from you i'm gp jess underscore harland lovely thank you and caroline you can get hold of me through the joyful doctor joyfuldoctor.com or across all of social media as the joyful doctor
0: Right. And and you can obviously see the rest of the podcast episodes and lots of other things that particularly Caroline and I have done around coping with COVID and uh, mental health with doctors and things like that on the You Are Not A Frog podcast website. So thank you so much, everyone, for being with us. and um, Speak again soon. Thank you. Bye